As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Okay, James, uh, November is in the books. Uh, We're about to start, I guess we started December. Uh, let's start with the biggest story in Toronto, as far as the Maple Leafs are concerned. Uh, James Reimer, he's hurt right now, uh, but for the month of November, six two and three, one six eight goals against, nine forty nine save percentage. What I was wondering uh, for you, does this change anything in terms of the way that you view James Reimer, his place with the Leafs, his future in the NHL? Like, how does this shift your opinion if it does at all? Well. It's been a long time since he's had one of these runs. We've seen it before, but it's been a long time. And, you know, I think that not just me, but I think everyone in Toronto was kind of thinking, okay, um, he had the two tough years. He had kind of settled in as a backup. He had battled through a lot of injuries. And maybe that's just what James Reimer was. But now, you know... You know, all the talk is that he worked really, really hard in the offseason. He's changed his technique a little bit. He's worked with a lot of different goalie coaches. Um, maybe maybe this is for real, you know. And it's tough with goalies because, as you know, I mean, like all kinds of guys can have great seasons. I was looking, I was looking at Mike Smith's numbers today, and it's like Mike Smith has never had numbers that were that impressive. And then he had that one year that, like, had it, got him nominated for the Vesna Trophy, and that's that's like – and he got the big contract, and he, he he was on the Canadian Olympic team as the third goalie and all kinds of stuff. And it's, 
but he's, he's only ever had the one year. So weird things can happen in goaltending, and I don't know yet if this is a weird thing or if Reimer's going to have a huge year this year. Well, so it's so funny that you say that because it, it, it connects it to Jonathan Bernier as well, and we'll get to that in a second. But at what point are you convinced that something is real? Like you've seen James Reimer, like you mentioned, do this once, twice before, but not for a while. When does it become, you know, realish? Like one month to me doesn't make up a year, obviously. Does he have to have another good month, two more good months? Like, let's be honest, he's not going to have a 950 save percentage, but if he can settle in at 925 for a couple months, is that when you start to look at him a little bit more seriously? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. And, I mean, the crazy thing is is that he, can have, he could have a 925 year and then be below average again next year. And, you know, it's... Right. And it's, but I think part of it is that the goalie stats that we have are not not the greatest so we're stuck relying on safe percentage to measure what these guys do you know i i think it changes the conversation for for the leafs because i think they can look at reimer realistically as a relatively cheap option they can re-sign that can be a starter they can work with a young guy uh beside him whether it's sparks or whoever it is you know i think from my perspective you know the leafs are going young they're going development wise I think they should just have three young goalies in the organization and maybe a James Reimer uh, and, and cycle through and, and, and see which of those young goalies ends up turning out because it's it's a very, very hard to project. And that's why you can't rule out a guy like Garrett Sparks who played all of last year, almost all of last year in the ECHL as a seventh-round pick, uh, didn't really have great numbers in junior. That's why you can't rule out the fact that he might be a good NHL goalie because a lot of times you just don't know. So, you know, I think the Leafs should look hard at, at keeping Reimer and and moving on from Bernie, if if they can potentially get any value for him. So I think it's, and you and I argued about this before, but see, I think it's way too quick to make that judgment. Like, that's possible, but I think ruling Jonathan Bernier out because he had nine okay-ish starts and because James Reimer suddenly had ten good ones. And now I know where you're going to take it. You're going to say, well, since January 1st, he's got a 900 save percentage. He hasn't been good for a while. Uh, I, I just think... It's too soon with a new coach, new system. It's too few starts to rule out Jonathan Bernier. Why am I wrong? It's not just that. I think it's a personality thing, too. And I think that if if you're moving in a direction where you want kind of a tandem situation or you want to get a young, you know, some young guys coming through, and it feels like Reimer would be a better fit in, in that environment. And Sure. I, I, but I don't. I mean, Mike Babcock says he wants like one guy that he can ride. So you know that that wouldn't be the Reimer scenario. It's it'll be interesting to see how the front office approaches the goaltending. And you know we got to be careful after two months of the season reading too much into it because Reimer could have a terrible. He could come back from his injury and be you know really really struggle and changes the conversation all over again. And Bernier could come back and play really well, or Sparks could could win a job in the NHL. Or I mean, like a lot of different things could happen. Exactly. Here, right? So. It is early, um, but what they do with the goaltending is is fascinating because, you know, at, at some point they're going to want to try and get one of the better goalies in the league, and uh, you can you can make the argument that Reimer and Bernier, neither one of those guys is that guy. Well, and if they want to be a competitive team, not this year, not next year, but the year after, you don't really know who's going to be in that conversation. No. But I think I think how they handle the goaltending in terms of who they get, how much money they spend – I wonder like how much we can read into that with Lou Lamorello's place in it because we obviously know, you know, his history with Martin Brodeur, different situation, but you know, he trades for Corey Schneider. 
sign Schneider to a long-term deal. Schneider is one of the better goalies in, in the league. I'm curious to see how they handle the goaltending situation, given what we know for the most part that, you know, you and I agree on this, that it doesn't really make sense outside of five, seven guys to really pay a goaltender. Like, do you think that'll be a good indicator of Lou Lamorello, or will we not be able to tell? I think that kind of this new age front office they've got, that the goaltending is a perfect scenario for them to use that, use some of their analytics guys, crunch the numbers on what makes sense to spend on goalies. And that's why I'm kind of wondering if Reimer is a better fit for the team than Bernier too, because, you know, Bernier is going to be relatively expensive next season. And I don't know necessarily that James Reimer is, but that comes back to how good of a year does he end up having this year? How much leverage is he going to have to get the new contract? And, you know, we're, we're in that loop again. So mm-hmm. I think what they should do is, is have a guy that they can use as kind of a, a placeholder that's good for the organization. Uh, that's not too expensive that you can have for another, let's say two years and see if you can get one of the young guys to be uh, be a star goaltender. See if you can get, you know, them to be the next. I don't, I don't know who you would name you want to throw out there, but you know, I was saying to someone else the other day that Henrik Lundqvist was a seventh round pick. You know, it's not out of the question that you can draft and develop, or even sign as a free agent and get one of the, one of the the young goalies to be something for you. So maybe, maybe it is Bernier, but it, Reimer or Bernier, I think one of those guys is not going to be back next year, and one of them has to be that kind of placeholder guy that, that, that plays goal for you for the next couple of years as a starter. Yeah, that's valid. And, and personality-wise, you know, we all know who James Reimer is. I think Jonathan Bernier, for some reason, is, is it doesn't seem like there's a, the same love for, for Bernier as there is for Reimer. Maybe that how that, that's how he comes off uh, in post-game interviews. Maybe it's how he's handled certain situations. But I wonder if they've handled this properly with Jonathan Bernier. I understand what Mike Babcock tried to do in November. He went with the hot hand. Um, but I think in certain situations, you, you have to find a way to get Jonathan Bernier going. The only way you get him going is by playing him. And Mike Babcock's retort would be, well, I tried that in October. It didn't work. Do you like how they've treated this situation with Bernier in terms of how public you know, Mike Babcock has been about his play and about what he needs to see? Not really, no. I mean, it kind of goes against what we know about how you deal with goaltenders and how it can be a real mental position and it can be there's a lot of fragility there and confidence plays into it. And, and I know some of the analytics guys will be listening to this and saying, what is he talking about? You know, it's, that doesn't have anything to do with it. But I believe in that stuff. You know, I believe that it's a position that's more mental than – it's like pitching in baseball, they always say, right? I mean, it's yeah. – you know, you can – you can lose it. You can you can go bad. You know there there have been goalies that have that have gone bad after after good seasons in in the NHL, and uh, it's uh, it's not easy. It's not an easy position to play. So to have your coach constantly coming out and saying how how poorly you're playing publicly, I just it, it feels like the personalities of Babcock who who likes being very upfront and being very um, blunt with what he what he says. I think that's clashing with Jonathan Bernier right now and if that continues I don't see how they can keep Bernier to be honest. Yeah, and and I think in certain situations um you just don't need to say anything like you could kind of support Bernier publicly and and just say, you know what, you know, he's got to keep working. We need him to be better. Uh and then again, you know, I like when people are honest. I like when we hear what 
athletes, what coaches actually think. And and he hasn't sugarcoated it, you know, when Bernier hasn't been very good. Like the the game over the weekend against uh, was it Washington, um, where Bernier gives up the four goals, and Babcock after the game just comes out and says, you know, the puck's got to stay out of our net. Yeah. So I I I know what you're saying, and and I think. I just don't know if that's going to work in Toronto. You know, right. we were we were talking about this at the arena yesterday, and it's only been nine games for Bernier. And if the coach was defending him constantly and saying, you know what, it's only been, it's only you know every every goalie goes through this and has a tough, he's making it seem to be a much bigger thing than than I think it needs to be made into. You know, he's saying. You know, I talked to Bernier, and I don't, he, I don't think he's ever been through anything like this before. I don't know what's, I don't know what's well, going to happen. You know, what? And... You, you, you know what that brought up to mind is you tweeted something. Uh, I think it was just like a fan saying something about Bernier while they were on their way to the game. Like, he can't be worse. Like, talking about Garrett Sparks, he can't be worse than Bernier. And I feel like that's where it becomes a thing is because all of a sudden you've got the coach saying the goalie's bad. Suddenly fans just completely turn on the goalie. You saw Bernier getting, you know, the Bronx cheer uh, at the ACC. That's where it can have an effect. And I know from talking to Bernier, he doesn't feel like, and, and, and I think he's right, like he doesn't feel like it's as bad as it seems. Like, obviously his numbers are terrible, but there have been a few games, and he started nine, there have been a few games where he was really good. There have been a few games where he's been really bad. Um, so I think Babcock has certainly helped the situation more, and yet I'm conflicted because i like i like that he's blunt i like that he's honest about things for the most part that's good for us because we know what's going on i mean other than the injury situation i mean we can babcock doesn't hasn't really shown a great poker face you know some of the coaches you you never know what's going on you never know what they're thinking i mean when it's a tough loss when something really really hard happens he reacts you know you see it on the bench and uh he kind of he's one of those guys that wears his emotions on his sleeve and i just think that 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 can work against you in Toronto. You know, we, we saw that with Ron Wilson, and I mean, the media really gets to the gets to to, to who these people are sometimes because every little thing that they do gets gets talked about and analyzed. So it'll be interesting to see this play out, especially if 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 the struggles you know stretch on into to next year, and you know, it's it, the the pain that he talked about is this is part of it. Part of it is is managing how you present things to the media. And I think with Bernie, it's, it's been a really tough start for, for the, that relationship. Well, do you think he has trade value? He's got one more year, obviously at just over 4 million. Uh, if this continues, obviously he won't have trade value, but where yeah. do you see that? Like people always look at a first round pick and, and they, their eyes light up, I think. So there's always that pedigree, but do you think there's any value or, or have we seen the goalie market kind of expose itself as what it is? Uh, the goalie market's so bizarre, isn't it? Like, Cam Talbot yeah. gets, you know, like, look what Martin Jones got. And, and then you look at how well the guys that, that were traded last summer are playing, and there's not really anyone that stands out as, as being outstanding. So it, it's Jones one of those. Jones has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's probably the only one. And Lack yeah. has really struggled. Uh, Kudobin hasn't played that well in Anaheim. I mean, there's there's a long list of goalies that moved around in the offseason yep. and not a very long list of the ones that have played well. It's almost like the GMs really don't know what to do with goalies. They really don't know who the good goalies are. And, you know, I remember uh, Steve Eiserman gave up, I think he gave up three picks for Anders Lindback at some point, and then basically Lindback had no value at all a year later. And then he, he traded... Uh, 
was it Corey Conacher, who's not even in the league anymore, for Ben Bishop, and Ben Bishop's, you know, in the conversation yeah. for the Vesna Trophy, and you know, it's it's such a weird position. So, what, does Bernier have value? No, but if he what if he goes and he has ten good games, then probably he right. has value. He has value again. So, if he plays like this all year, if he really really struggles, it's going to look bad on the Leafs that they had him signed for for two years. Yeah, and you know what? You know what? You're right. It's funny, and it's like once a GM sees a goalie play well, they like rush to lock them up. Like Devin Dubnik last year plays really well, long term deal. So far this year, I think he has a 909 save percentage. It seems like any opportunity where they can look at a goalie and say he's been good, we gotta we gotta sign him. Like Corey Crawford wins a cup, sign him. Jonathan Quick wins a cup, sign him. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it just seems like. I think it's a huge headache for an organization. Like, if you don't have one, I think it's yeah. It's so frustrating for Carolina right now. You look at their possession stats, and they're like one of the top teams in the league. And their goaltending has been total crap. Cam Ward's playing himself out of the league. Lack has had a he had a he had a bad, really bad, like first three or four games, and it started to come around a little bit, but. When you have, we've seen in Toronto lots of years where the goaltender just ruins your entire season. You know, there were years under Ron Wilson where the team played over its head. You know, the the skaters and the goalies were just brutal. Or under Paul Maurice, I mean, yeah. the Raycroft and Toscala and all. You know, I I think as a, a GM or a coach watching the goalie sink your whole season, which they can do. I mean, they're if a goalie's really good, really, really good, like Carey Price, or really, really bad, like Toscala or Raycroft, it just has such a huge impact on your team that you can't really, nothing else can fix that. Nothing, like, you can't put a really bad, struggling goalie in goal and play good enough defense to win a lot of games like that. It's just, it just doesn't work like that in the NHL anymore. It's such a problem, too, because, like, you can't win, obviously, if you don't have a competent goalie. And yet there's so much that suggests that a goalie's performance year to year, it kind of fluctuates aside from a couple guys. So like, you're kind of boxed in, like you don't know what to do. You know, if you don't have that guy, where do you find that guy? And yet you could kind of find those guys in him anywhere. Martin Jones is undrafted. You know what I mean? Like you mentioned Henrik Lundqvist, a seventh round pick. It's just a whole, it's a, it's a web that kind of, that's I why know, I think, have, like, I think the way to do it would be have, like, three guys that could potentially, like, I don't know why, I don't know, it, it's tough with waivers and everything, but, you know, the ideal situation would be to have, like, three goalies that you go into the year with and you think, you know, maybe I've got something here. Like, what Anaheim's got right now is that, yeah. you know, Anderson's hurt, he's been okay this year, uh, Kudobin has been, you know, a little bit less than okay. They bring up John Gibson. John Gibson has been unbelievable here in the whatever he's played, the four or five games he's played this season. You know, they've got three guys that they can rely on, and then now they've got options. Anaheim has been a goalie factory. They've been so lucky, and Babcock was talking about that when he came up through the NHL. He had such great goaltending in Anaheim. They've just, they've done a great job of just finding guys, and, you know, it was... uh Jaguar and and he talked about Gerber, but you know Jonas Hiller, Anderson, Gibson. I mean they they've been very very lucky. And if you can do that in this organization, if you can continually find goalies better than other teams, it gives you a resource because you can trade those guys away and get something back. Or you know if someone get hurt or someone starts playing poorly, then you've got other options. And I think I think teams need to put a lot more uh, prominence on the, on that backup position. So. Well, I really liked how Tampa handled it with Ben Bishop. Like, they signed him to a two-year deal. Right. Uh, and then they've got Vasilevsky to kind of be their future, and they can decide what they want to do with Bishop. I like how they've handled it. But then, like you mentioned, the three-goalie thing, 
then it can work terribly. Like, and obviously Calgary is not a great team, but look, they bring in three goalies. Basically, all of them haven't been great. And well, I mean, you, you want to bring in guys that have great. some upside, right? I mean, like right. like Kari Ramo is, in my opinion, not an NHL goalie. Ortio, I mean, his wave was waved through the league. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, why everyone was so excited about him. Hiller's getting older, and you know that's that's why I wonder with the Leafs if maybe they should just have a guy that they know can play at the NHL level, Reimer or Bernier, and then have like three young guys that they can they can see what they've got in those guys. Maybe they cycle through and they play. Everybody plays part of the season with the Marlies, and everybody plays part of the season in the NHL. I don't. That, that's that's an idea that that. Yeah, well, and they, they also can... they also haven't used any draft picks on goalies since Bebo. Like, this new regime has not touched a goalie, so you wonder if that changes mm. next summer. If I mean, if you're going by analytics, you probably almost never draft a goalie, to be honest. Right, like, and, and you know what? Like, it's like, it, it's sort of, I know you're not a big NFL guy, but it's sort of like, I always like comparing it myself personally to the NFL with running backs, is you don't need to expend, you know, like a, a first-round pick or a second-round pick, a value pick on a running back, because you can find them anywhere. Like, it's walk-ons come out of nowhere and become really good backs. And it's the same thing with goalies. Have you seen some of the studies that have been done, like on the percentage success rate of different positions with draft picks in the NHL? Like the success rates with first round picks for goalies are just like, they're so bad. There are so many guys, there are lots of goalies that were picked really, really high that, you know, I can like bring, Brent Cron, and I can throw all kinds of names at you of like first round pick goalies that were just absolutely nothing. So the thing is, when you look, like, you have to draft, I think they should change the, the rules so you draft goalies when they're 19 instead of when they're 18, because I don't, like, mm-hmm. no one has any idea when you look at an 18-year-old goalie what they are, and when a team does get one right, like they did with, the Montreal did with Carey Price, it's it's very impressive, because that's very hard to do. Yeah, Corey Schneider, another, I think he was right. a late first-round pick. Right, um, that's, that's a, Tuka Rask, I mean, the Leafs made a great bet on Tuka Rask, it's even harder with the European guys, because a lot of times they're they're starting in lower leagues, and I, I wonder if this new regime is just not going to – they'll only take a goalie they're interested in in, like, the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. Well, it seems like it might be the way to go. You yeah. Mean, why waste it? Like, I mean, you, you're probably getting more value potentially from a skater. Right. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on goalies. Uh, let's get to – I wanted to ask you one thing before we get out of here. Um, you look at a lot of the guys that we see as players on the Leafs that are trade targets – I guess, for the Leafs, players that they would presumably like to trade. I think you look generally at that group, and and most of them have been okay so far. But is there any one of those guys that you think is still, I don't know if this is the right word, but is still untradeable? Or or is everybody tradable under the right circumstance? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, are you just talking about the guys whose contracts are going to expire or everybody? No, no. Okay, so I should clarify. Okay, so I'm talking, I think we can presume that there are only a handful of guys on this roster uh, that I think they're committed to keeping for the long term. Like, I think Leo Komarov, under the right circumstance, they'd move tomorrow, especially with how well he's played Mm. uh, in his contract, his age. Tyler Bozak, uh, maybe James Van Riemsdyk, Dion Phaneuf, Joffrey Lupul. And then, obviously, you can include all those guys on one-year contracts. But I'm talking the guys who are not just signed for one year. Is there any one of those Lupuls, Fanufs, Bozak? That you want to keep, ha- you're saying. That What's that? That you want to keep or that they can't move? That they can't move. Well, I don't know. I would think Jarvis Lupul would be very difficult to move right now. He's hurt. He's 
older. He's been playing on a checking line. He's making 5.25. He's got two more years left on his deal. I mean, I think I still think, and Fanof has produced a lot of points, but I still think he'd be hard to move too. So, and you know, Bozak. It's been really interesting to watch Bozak produce in that kind of sheltered second, third line kind of role. Much different looking line. Uh, we'll see if he if he keeps it up. I mean, I, I think that he's one of the guys that's I think made it a lot easier to trade him if that's what they decide to do. I think that his value has gone from very very low last year to you know now if there's a team that really wants some center depth that that he's shown some things. You know, he's he's shown that he can help on a power play and. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's not a good possession player. He's not a good defensive player, but he wins face-offs. And if you put him in the offensive zone, he can uh, help produce a little bit of offense. So that's one of the positives. But I still think that trying to trade Phaneuf or Lupo will be very, very difficult right now. Well, so that I, I wanted to ask you about Phaneuf specifically because I think we've talked about it a lot. You know, they're using him in, in different situations. They're putting him in the offensive zone more. He's producing a lot of points. We know that there are teams people out there who look at points and ice time and things be simple metrics, I guess you could call them. Um, Do you think they've done enough to prop him up where a team might look at him and say, you know what, if the Leafs absorb X amount of his contract, there's some value there. Like I still don't buy it. And and we talked about that last time, I think, you know, about how much money they take back and a buyout potentially at some point. Do you think that there's a team who could look at him now and say, you know what, at a, a discounted rate, he could help us, or is the contract just still too long in the age to unappealing? I guess the thing is, you just need one team. I mean, the team that they need right. to take Phaneuf is a team that wants to go for it and that really needs that. And they see him as a two or a three defenseman that can produce some offense for them. And, you know, maybe it's a team that has an injury right at, before the trade deadline and that is a legit contender. You know, let's say St. Louis or one of those teams loses a guy, but there's just so much term on that contract. That's the tough part. So, you know, maybe if the Leafs eat a million of it uh, in retained salary and take back a bad contract, I don't know, maybe there's a way you can do it. I mean, you really, you only need one team to do it. So, and as we saw with, you know, you don't ever want to say never with, with, with Clarkson having been traded, but uh, I think it's a very hard deal to make. I think if they can do it at some point this year that they should, obviously, I think if they can move either, loophole or enough that they probably should and not worry too much about the return they get and just try not to retain too much salary and that just opens a lot of doors for them to uh to to change their roster in a big way next year i mean you don't want to have you know combine those guys are over 12 million on your cap you don't want to have that committed for another you know two years and beyond with enough i mean it's just it just limits what you're going to be able to do so Phaneuf's contract expires in 2021 Saying everything that you just said, was it a mistake? Like I, I believe this, and I'm, I may be alone. Was it a mistake for them not to move him when they had the chance last year? Well, but but then again, I mean, like the the rumored offer was, I mean, it was for Stephen Weiss and Brendan right, Brendan contract. Brendan Smith, who's you know maybe like a like a number six defenseman, you know it's not not anything great, and the and the Leafs were going to have to retain a lot of salary, so a lot of salary. I think I think it was two million dollars. So, and the Red Wings ended up having to buy out Weiss, so that's a lot of dead money that you're going to have to put on your cap. And you know we we've talked about this before. I mean maybe at some point it just makes sense to buy out Phaneuf instead of doing that, or you know I, I think that they they might have been smart just to wait because there's the, the that would have been selling low on on Phaneuf and True. 
And if if he, you know, if we get to the trade deadline and he's still on pace for 50 points and he hasn't been a huge defensive liability, you know, there very well could be a team out there that says, let's bring this guy in. Well, that's why I hate always, I, honestly, I hate speculating about trades and, you know, I get asked about like the Reimer rumors and such, like, how can you speculate on what you don't actually know when the nuts and bolts of the, the trade aren't known? Right, right. Uh, but like Weiss, his contract expires in 2018. Uh, $4.9 million cap hit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Because Does he buy him out, or is he on long-term injured reserve right now? Uh, I have to check that. I, I think they. I think Detroit bought White out, is my recollection. I feel like you're right. But, uh, let me look. I didn't know you were going to throw that at me. Yeah, they did. Right. Uh, in, uh, end of June. Anyway, um, okay. So there's a, there's a lot of dead money. If you retain two million on Funov and you've got that buyout from Weiss, it's too I mean, much. Yeah, it's, too it's, much. A, it's yeah. So they were smart, and that shows how low his value was last year. So I can't imagine it's lower than that right now. It's just the problem is like you could get stuck with the whole thing. Yeah, or you just buy it out like we talked about. Anyway, I, you buy it out, or or he becomes Robida in a couple of years. I don't know. Oh, that situation. You want to bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's your favorite thing to talk about. Well, I just am frustrated that nobody else seems to... Con- well, besides you, nobody else seems to see the relevance and why it's very fishy and weird. And I just think that there's no... I, if If the player and the team agree to say he's hurt, I don't think there's anything they can do. I mean, I don't... I don't think that they're in a situation where they want to have be bringing in these independent doctors to say no, no, he's he's actually healthy. And but so you know, is this going to go on for the next year and a half, two years? It sure seems like it. It's funny but today. I was looking at the NHL All Star voting open today, and I was looking at the least players who were getting getting uh, votes, and some people were voting for Roby Dow. He was one of the he was one of the higher Leafs players on there. So maybe he'll maybe he'll represent the Atlantic Division as the captain of the All Star team. Well, I wonder if. if like you saw what happened with Detroit and Dan Cleary, uh, I guess they tried to assign him to the AHL team, and I don't think he went. So he's just kind of floating. Like maybe that's. I guess what's the difference anyway? It doesn't matter unless it starts to affect their cap. But it's it's weird. So yeah, is there I anything mean, else? The, they could pressure the Leafs into putting him with the Marley. I mean, the only thing that is, is that the Leafs like next season potentially can get cap relief by putting. Roby Daw on long-term injured reserve, and then then you can make well, the argument that's where that, it gets fishy. Right, right. So. And from what I've been told is once uh, injured reserve and long-term injured reserve get, there's a little more scrutiny with long-term injured reserve than there is with injured reserve. So who yeah. knows? Yeah. Anyway, is there, is there anything else you want to get to before we go? I know you got to go. I was just going to say you're talking about trading Komarov. I mean, I think that they have the makings of a pretty interesting line there. That's their first line right now. I mean, if they can get enough talent that that becomes the second line. I don't mind the idea of keeping Van Riemsdyk and, and Komarov and Kadri together for, you know, for the foreseeable future because I think that there's some interesting elements there and I think that they can all produce and that becomes your second line. I think that uh, that could work. But so that's but but think about it in the scope of where they're going. They don't expect to be competitive until two more yeah. years, right? Yeah. So Leo Komarov's contract will be up. Or we'll have one year left. Well, obviously, if his contract's up and you don't see value in keeping him, then you move him for sure. I see your yeah. point. Like, there is value to that line right now. I'm just saying, like, his value is never, ever going to get higher than it is right now. 
Well, if he, yeah, I mean, if he, well, what if, he if he, if he has a full year where he has like twenty-two goals or something like that, then you know, I, you know, maybe that that convinces some teams of something. Yeah. All right. It's a, it's a fair point. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, talk again next week. This has been fun. Okay. Thanks, Jonah. Goalies, goalies, goalies. Thanks, James. I woke up this morning, didn't recognize.